0: Until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's part two subject of vaccinations. Uh, safety and efficacy are in question. Now The number here if you live in the area is 923-3911 or if you live outside the area, toll free numbers 1-800-568-3723. Uh, once again, I'll be introducing Dr Raymond Peet to the show in a moment. Um, to share his wisdom. Um, he's got some new information uh, regarding some facts that have been shown from about 2002 through till now, some fairly recent revelations about parts of the uh, vaccination process, which are probably more questionable than ever. Um, I guess I want to just open up the show again um, by what we, I read out last month on the uh, part one of vaccinations, which was the first do-no-harm, Uh, tenant of medicine Uh, the United States legal standard applied to vaccines defines them as and this is how it's defined unavoidably unsafe products that are quite incapable of being made safe for their intended and ordinary use and the reason why vaccines are unsafe or in other words harmful is because they're made up of chemicals and other elements that are essentially poisonous to the body Uh, we'll get into some of those things later on in the show um, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, for those people who perhaps have never listened to the show or tuned in before now, um, would you just outline your academic and scientific background so that people can understand uh, where you've come from and where you are now?
1: In the 1950s and 60s, uh, I was mostly a student and teacher in the humanities, uh, English lit and, and painting, for example, and other subjects, uh, then I decided to uh, go to graduate school in biology and biochemistry, University of Oregon for a PhD, uh, because I had been interested in that for many years, but I uh, considered that uh, the academic approach to it was uh, pretty futile and, and misleading in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and uh, since uh, graduating in 1972, I've uh, continued studying, uh, trying to find what I consider the main line of science in, in biology, which is uh, very opposed to, in many ways, the, the mainstream medical thinking and and the biology, which is influenced by our corporate financing. Uh, and. Uh, Uh, this mainstream or main line of of biological and and chemical thinking that I've been following uh, is more uh, holistic and developmental, uh, time oriented uh, way of looking at at, uh, organisms than the uh, reductionist uh, abstract molecular uh, approach that has become dominant And uh, that particularly uh, relates to how the immune system works, but that isn't uh, an area that I've uh, specialized in. I I did teach a a short course in immunology at medical students in Mexico, 1979. But uh, since then, uh, things have radically changed.
0: OK. Um, I think for the purpose um, of those people who perhaps have tuned in to this evening's show, um, I think what I wanted to start the uh, the show with is something that I think, if most people listen carefully to the paragraph I'm going to read out next, will probably be fairly stunned because they probably never really thought about it. I think the generation that... My generation, perhaps, born in the mid-60s, um, and, and, and the children from there until now probably have very little uh, awareness of uh, what I'm going to read out next and, and that's the fact that all infectious diseases were in fact in free fall decline before the introduction of vaccines uh, and this just doesn't enter the consciousness of most people it's veiled by, by the fear and the mysticism surrounding disease and it's apparent cure with polio and smallpox as examples in most people's consciousness as reasons for vaccines when in fact this is not the truth Uh, starting, I guess, in the 1800s with massive overcrowding and open sewers and poor hygiene and poor nutrition. This was largely responsible for the pandemics and the epidemics that ravaged Europe at the time. And when the reformations happened with uh, socioeconomic factors improving with general hygiene, nutrition, uh, the amount of time people were working and the kind of housing and and living conditions people were were in, uh, the figures that I have, and there's a book that's written, um, by Susan, uh, Susan Humphreys. And, um, that book is entitled Dissolving Illusions, a Disease Vaccines in the Forgotten History. Now, Dr. Susan Humphreys is actually, well, was actually, still is a medical doctor, but she's not practicing, uh, medicine within the, uh, medical association. She was very much put off of, uh, the the main we call it the mainstream medicine and you've already mentioned that Dr Pete that the holistic approach that a lot of science will take to achieve a a truth is largely avoided or covered up with continuing mistruths or misinformation shall I say that permeates the medical uh, industry so the book that she wrote after basically after coming across a kidney damage that was initiated from influenza vaccines and she was actually a nephrologist um, so she basically looked at the British records uh, from the best part that I can see most of the records from 1750 or thereabouts until the present date um, for about 10 infectious diseases that were prevalent at the time and those range from measles smallpox typhoid whooping cough diphtheria polio syphilis and malaria and the evidence that she found was that there was a dramatic decrease in the incidence of these diseases mostly around the early 1900s to the end of the second world war so why uh, why do you think the why do you think the vaccines have become of what they are now in people's minds. And that I believe is that we can't do without them when in fact it was all virtually disappearing due to improved health and sanitary conditions.
1: Um, I, I think the, the, uh, the medical attitude ha- has been developed for more than a hundred years. Um, my parents and grandparents were uh, born Really, before the the medical indoctrination got underway in the United States and Europe, uh, but uh, the, uh, the the vaccine history, uh, there were uh, people uh, teaching uh, doctors to to vaccinate and indoctr- indoctrinating the the medical community with the idea. But uh, in my my parents' generation. Uh, uh, they they were uh, pretty immune to it they were forced to be vaccinated in the schools but uh, it was only a somewhat later generation I think uh, more or less coinciding with the American Medical Association taking over medicine and uh, abolishing uh, for about 60 or 70 years the uh, natural approaches to medicine such as naturopathy uh, and uh, the, the drug treatment approach rather than the uh, improving general health approach uh, was uh, part of that uh, takeover of, of medicine. Um, the um, Several people fairly recently have pointed out that uh, vaccines are really just a cheap way of... Uh, controlling some infections uh, when it's too expensive to uh, give people good food and a clean environment. Uh, it's recognized that that will prevent uh, the infectious diseases but that it's too expensive.
0: Yeah you know I was going to be one of my questions to you was going to be that uh, what did you what did you did you how did you feel about the uh, the the argument that's been put forward that it is actually an economic uh situation um rather than yeah for want of a better word a holistic uh situation where you know if we if we had good clean food and it wasn't uh contaminated with gmos and it wasn't uh it wasn't laboratory produced but was just good wholesome organic clean food and that's the way we did raise our crops and that's how people ate and people weren't brainwashed into uh, believing that butter's bad for you or sugar's bad for you or that you know dairy products are bad for you but actually if people ate uh, and were exposed to good wholesome nutrition there there would automatically be an increase in people's general health but that isn't really in the interest of industries. Um, producing supp- uh, yeah. supposedly necessary products for our ill health.
1: Uh, last month I mentioned the World Health Organization study in Central America that, that showed that uh, giving uh, a little tiny bit of economic uh, support, such as clean water mm-hmm. and uh, a nutritious porridge supplement for pregnant women and children, that that improved the health of of uh, the study village relative to one that had no intervention and the one that had the intervention with doctors and vaccines and standard medicine, the health, went down during the study period. Uh, that, that actually said medicine is bad for you. <laughs> but uh, even uh, the cleaning up of the environment, which the Rockefeller Foundation was a leader in, Uh, trying to prevent hookworm infection for example and improving nutrition in schools. Uh, That was done because it was realized that uh, sick uh, uh, undernourished uh, mentally undeveloped people didn't make good workers so uh, there is a way of looking at Mm -hmm. uh, cleaning up the environment and feeding people that it's good for the, the corporate economy too but it happens that uh, it's even cheaper to use uh, vaccines and more profitable Uh, even if it wasn't necessary uh, if the environment got clean enough and people were well fed uh, it would still be very profitable to uh, sell the the chemical and vaccination approach to health yeah
0: Okay, I think a little bit later on we'll get into, well, I tell you what, let's just mention it now. The uh, And this is in California too, and um, I have a good friend who's done quite a bit of research into vaccinations, and I know that, uh, I think she's had uh, shows here before now on the subject. Um, but that the uh, increase in the uh, other form of uh, pertussis, uh, border parapertussis, um, they, they, she was stating that the uh, the regular acellular pertussis vaccination has actually increased the border teller colonization in children and that a lot of children who have this uh, unknown etiological uh, uh, condition with fever and feeling unwellness but don't have this uh, typical um, cough, um, that actually this is a, a border teller parapertussis colonization that's come around from vaccination and that um, the whooping cough uh, uh, vaccine is actually uh, responsible for this in itself. Have you heard anything about um, Bordetella teloparapertussis? Uh, no, not, not, okay. not at all. Yeah, all right. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that because I think that was fairly, fairly relevant. Okay, so um, I think if we want to carry on, I think the main thrust of uh, what we want to look at this evening is that there are there's lots of evidence, and it's more about taking, um, taking responsibility, I won't say control, because that's got some bad connotations, but taking responsibility uh, for your own self. Um, if you want to be as healthy as you possibly can, and educating yourself, and not just uh, not just taking everything that comes from mainstream media as the truth, and buying into it, but being open-minded enough to turn your head this way and that way to see the other, see the other side of what's going on. So uh, I know last month we had a couple of callers, uh, one of which in particular, and I could understand her her feelings about this. Who she was saying that uh, you know back in the twenties and and thereabouts, some of her relatives had died from you know, either smallpox or from measles even, and that actually you know this, the death was a fairly serious. <laughs> Fairly serious uh, psychological thing that she was dealing with that her you know ancestors had died of this and how could we uh, how how could, how could I bring up a show saying why was vaccination uh, avoidable and you know in in the light of her understanding that actually vaccination was the supposedly the main reason why everyone was healthier but um, I, I think from a uh, overcrowding perspective, definitely in the 1800s and uh, later on until probably after the First World War, maybe the 30s and 40s when things started improving uh, radically, um, there was a lot of infection and disease about, but very much to say that I think each one of us individually are responsible for what happens to us. We're not, or we, we, we really shouldn't be, even if some people think that they are just guinea pigs and they don't have any control and they don't have any say. Uh, we're very much in control of what uh, someone else does to us or what we're prepared to put in our mouth, and we're very much responsible for seeking out information and being aware uh, of our surroundings. Uh, otherwise, I think we are very much uh, likely to to die prematurely from something else that could be pro- probably avoidable. Um, in terms of the immune system, and we'll get into the kind of vaccine theory and uh, maybe discuss some parts of why the theory is pretty erroneous and um, could be leading to problems down the road. I know last last month you mentioned the fact that we are a conscious uh, living stream um, or a stream of consciousness and basically from birth until death that stream is constantly evolving and is uh, subject to being uh, affected by the things that come into our Environment come into our minds and our ears, etc. Um, so, in terms of uh, immunity uh, in, in the body, I, I know obviously that you're very uh, you, you advocate uh, thyroid hormone and uh, general dietary advice that is on the anti-inflammatory side, and use uh, those examples physiologically to show and prove that uh, these things are scientifically correct in terms of the immune system and what happens with vaccination uh, would would you just describe the kind of basic immune system but what they call the the innate immune system versus the kind of adaptive immune system and then we'll perhaps talk about how they actually vaccinate you and then obviously get into the adju- adjuvants the uh, aluminum and the other products that they put in these vaccines which are coming up as being responsible for various different things
1: um- Currently, the the, uh, the, the uh, medical community, especially, is uh, emphasizing the, the uh, difference between the innate immune system, which is uh, they speak of it as as the first barrier to infection, and the adaptive uh, system, which uh, learns uh, to uh, be specifically immune right. to uh, uh, invading organisms. And and it can be trained by exposing it to, to the organisms or a fraction of them put into a vaccine. Um, the 198 Nobel Prize was divided uh, between two uh, proponents of uh, theories of immunity. Uh, Paul Ehrlich and Haley Metchnikoff. Metchnikoff was an embryologist who uh, emphasized the role of phagocytes in uh, destroying or isolating invading material and uh, reconstituting a healthy organism. Uh, Ehrlich was uh, interested in the staining properties of cells and uh, this um, made him of interest to the uh, chemical companies who uh, he he showed that the chemicals which could stain organisms specifically could also uh, react with equal specificity to uh, pathogens and uh, the idea of a magic bullet uh, came from his approach to uh, chemical specificity uh, uh, mercury and arsenic uh, were early examples later sulfa drugs that had some specificity to uh, killing the, the uh, pathogens um, but it, it was the, uh, the context for almost all thinking about adaptive immunity and, and how that specificity could be evoked by vaccines. And uh, meanwhile, the developmental uh, innate resistance that Metchnikoff talked about uh, was ignored until uh, Jamie Cunliffe and Polly Matzinger in the 90s uh, revived the idea around the the concept that danger or damage to the tissue, analogous to uh, when Metchnikoff stuck a, a splinter into a jellyfish and showed that it was engulfed by uh, phagocytes, wandering cells uh, that could eat invading material and turn it to nutritious use. Um, that that was uh, a, a complete... Uh, rethinking of the uh, uh, specific chemical orientation of the uh, adaptive immunity people who had, through the especially in the 60s uh, and and 70s uh, with the idea of the clonal uh, selection of uh, randomly varied molecules in the immune system uh, uh, the Genes were, were simply uh, churning out uh, random possibilities, and uh, the exposure to molecules of the uh, host organism or invading organisms, uh, these would govern the the selection or destruction of these randomly generated molecules. Uh, Linus Pauling had proposed an instruction theory of the Antibodies uh, in which uh, the uh, uh, protein or RNA would uh, uh, wrap itself around, in a sense, the invading material and then uh, compose a, a protein antibody that would uh, represent the exposure to the shape. Uh, so it, it didn't require uh, either an infinite number of genes. Or uh, this specific uh, rapid uh, mutation that could generate uh, almost an infinite number of uh, variable molecules. Um, since, since the 1990s, uh, the danger theory has been incorporated uh, into the uh, mainstream of adaptive body centered immunity, but uh, it pretty much limits itself to thinking of the innate system as first a barrier, and second, an, um, an amplifier of inflammation, which then simply shifts over to uh, making the adaptive system run faster. Uh, so... Uh, they've they've accepted the innate immunity, but in a very subordinate way, which is just kind of a, a first a, a screen and then a booster to the system that, that they've been working out over the last century. Hmm.
0: How um how how do you feel about the um uh, the introduction to the the adaptive system? of fragments of, I don't know, core proteins or RNA that it kind of seems to be supposedly underpinning the uh, science behind vaccines and that the body is then uh, preparing memory T-cells that will jump straight into the fore as soon as they come into contact with the organism in its entirety as and when you come into contact with... The bacteria, or whatever the thing is you're being vaccinated for? Uh,
1: just by uh, trial and error and empirical results, uh, it's been known for generations uh, that uh, junk added to an antigen makes it uh, produce more active antibodies. And uh, following that accidental uh, learning, uh, it, it was found that alum, an aluminum uh, compound, uh, is a good uh, kind of junk that makes the, uh, the peptide or the protein of the uh, antigen here to be vaccinated with to make it more effective at forming antibodies. And uh, that was just uh, uh, an observed fact without any theory at all. To justify it. And there, uh, one theory was that the aluminum uh, condensed the proteins, sort of clotted them, mm-hmm. and made a, a little ball of them that uh, for some reason the immune system could deal with better than uh, free floating proteins. But I think the last oh, five or ten years, the uh, tendency is now to see aluminum as an activator of the innate inflammatory process uh, so uh, there's this growing awareness that it is creating a general inflammation uh, which then uh, makes the uh, specific response of the adaptive system more energetic uh, so in the background uh, it's recognized that the uh, the adjuvant is there probably for the purpose of creating a generalized inflammation in the organism, and uh, that that's where uh, the uh, long-range view of uh, doing no harm uh, is is being neglected uh, because the the embryological approach to the organism sees that what happens early in development, is going to have permanent, lifelong effects on how the organism turns out. Right.
0: This this was what you mentioned last month about the stream of consciousness, right?
1: Yeah. So if if you introduce an inflammatory state early in the life of a person, uh, it's really a matter of waiting 20 or 30 or 40 years Mm -hmm. to see what the effects of that are going to be. Right. And uh, that hasn't been done in any sense because uh, they were so uh, intent on their simplified molecular uh, view. Uh, They talked about the uh, antigen-presenting cells, Mm -hmm. which for many years were simply macrophages that -hmm. that caught the germ and then presented it to uh, cells which could then a direct r- the response of the uh, B cells right. bone derived cells to make antibodies mm-hmm. uh, but now with the new emphasis on the innate immune system as an inflammation amplifier uh, it's recognized that <clears throat> our, throughout our skin and mucous membranes <clears throat> there are uh, cells called <clears throat> dendritic cells, okay. which are uh, they are really the major antigen uh, presenting cells. Uh, many many other cell types uh, can do this, not just macrophages, but the, the massively uh, present d- dendritic cells in the, the skin and mucous membranes uh, are what will in the normal. Exposure to to uh, uh, germs, our, our skin, or our mouth, our nose, lungs—these are where the, the germ exposure happens. Right. And uh, so, it's the dendritic cells mainly which uh, capture the the antigen and and then present them to uh, mostly the, the thymus cells, which then activate and instruct the production of of uh, Antibodies and so on um, but to uh, in in the process of capturing and and uh, transferring the reaction to the uh, abnormal or, or pathogenic protein it only works if some of the uh, organisms own uh, cell material uh, the uh, uh, compatibility uh, factors.
0: The MHCs, huh?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, these uh, are broken down and digested uh, in the uh, the, uh, the the antigens are broken down uh, and attached in fragments to the right. uh, organism's own uh, surface uh, protein groups. Com- uh, compatibility uh, groups and it's the combination of the invading peptides with the, uh, the organism's own uh, normal cell, sur- cell surface that uh, the immunity is developed to and uh, this in in the extreme form of the danger or damage theory of Jamie Cunliffe uh, this is is the real essence of the whole immune system that it's there to uh, restore and maintain the structure of the organism it's not uh, primarily uh, designed to, to attack invaders. right
0: <laughs> oops what's happened to dr p where's he gone Doctor Pete? Uh, stu- yes,
1: what was that? I didn't. Do I don't know.
0: Everything went quiet. I think uh, oh. something you might have got played around with in the uh, studio. But oh, um, oh, I thought there was a caller. Yeah, well, there are actually two callers on the line, so it's probably now is a good time. I'll pick up. I'll pick up after we uh, uh, get off the air with uh, whoever's calling in when they do, uh, uh, and we'll pick up what you're the thread of what you were saying there. But let's take this first caller. You're on the air, caller. Hi. Hi. That me? Yeah. And where are you from?
2: Uh, Kansas City.
0: Oh, hi. How you doing?
2: I'm doing good. <laughs> um, my question was on uh, what, what, Dr. P., what's your uh, thoughts on L-glutamine? Uh, I've been reading about some people using it to uh, heal stomach ulcers and uh, to restore intestinal integrity.
1: Um, I think it should be um, pretty much limited to what's uh, available in the proteins of the diet. Uh, Partly because uh, when an amino acid is manufactured in a pure chemical form, it's always going to have risky contaminants uh, that aren't present in the the whole natural protein. And uh, secondly, uh, uh, a lot of people have uh, talked about the the glucose dependency of, of cancer cells, but actually glutamine is a favorite food uh, for promoting cancer cell growth uh, and an excess of of any uh, single amino acid uh, can be harmful for various reasons uh, including s- simply overloading you with with ammonia as they break down but it's one of the uh, least harmful so if you had a, a clean source of it uh, it, it would uh in some cases be beneficial, but I still think it's risky.
2: Okay, what's the upper limit for glycine on that topic?
1: Oh, um, I think a a few grams per day uh, divided into doses of uh, half to one gram at a time I think would be safe. Okay,
2: um, you also mentioned in some interviews about activated charcoal to help clean up the intestine if uh, carrots and bamboo shoots weren't um, doing the job. Um, How would you go about using
1: activated charcoal? First, you want to make sure that it's clean and hasn't been exposed to uh, contaminants in the environment because it will capture uh, things from the air that it's exposed to. But if you're sure you have a clean uh, source, you can uh, simply uh, add it to a drink or to food.
2: Like a, a tablespoon at a time? Is that sort of the dose? Um,
1: yeah, it you depends didn't. on
2: what you're using it for. Okay. All right, then. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you for call, listener. Okay, uh, we have a second caller on the air, so let's take this second caller. Hi, and where are you from? Hello? Our engineer is a little... Okay, second caller. You're on the air, and where are you from? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from?
2: Oh, uh, Indiana. Indiana. Um, my question for Dr. Pete was about um, skin tags. And I was just wondering, basically, what's the underlying cause, and uh, is there anything topically
1: or otherwise that you could do to get rid of them?
0: Sure. Okay, Dr. P.
1: Um, I don't really know the underlying cause, but they become very common when a person uh, approaches uh, middle age, the age of 40 or 45. And uh, that suggests that uh, they might be... a a deficiency of the protective stabilizing hormones and since the skin is a major hormone uh, synthesizing organ uh, the um, making sure that you have enough uh, cholesterol and thyroid in your diet so that you can make uh, a generous amount of, of the protective steroids I think would be helpful uh, some people have used uh, topical uh, DHEA's dissolved in oil, or progesterone dissolved in oil, uh, or even just uh, pulverized, uh, micropulverized pulverized uh, pregnenolone on the skin. And, uh, uh, sometimes that will clear up uh, a variety of, of growths on the skin, including skin tags.
2: Okay. Um, another quick question. You guys have been talking an awful lot about inflammation, and I was just wondering how uh, Dr. Pete felt about um, turmeric or ginger or any other kind of like herbal thing that's supposed to uh, reduce inflammation, supplementing with them or anything.
1: Um, some people are allergic to those. So uh, even though the research looks very good, especially for uh, turmeric, uh, you, you want to be very careful with any of those herbal things because they have many other components which can uh, trigger strong allergic reactions.
2: Okay, thanks a lot.
0: Okay, well, let's, just for the sake of carrying on, uh, there's another caller on the air. Uh, let's take the next caller. Hi, caller, you're on air, and where are you from? Uh, hello? Hello. Oh, you were there. I th- hello, you're on the air.
3: Hi, this is Ed. Uh, and I'm where are you from? i from Laytonville.
0: Oh, okay, Laytonville.
3: And and uh, I'm uh, hoping to ask Do- Dr. Pete. Uh, it like sounds like there's a bit of a delay we've got going, right. um, so I'll try to ignore the radio.
0: Yeah, turn the uh, radio off. I'm
3: hoping to speak uh, to or have Dr. Pete speak to uh, poor memory and focus. Okay. And uh, I know Dr. Pete uh, talked about some students that were having difficulty... Um, in some topics being taught and I'm just hoping to have that uh, teased out a bit further a low energy uh, memory focus ADHD uh, so perhaps you could speak a bit to that Sure, okay, Dr. P um, uh, Having
1: a, an adequate amount of protein in your diet is, is an essential first thing uh, And. For the average sized uh, person, uh, between the ages of, of 20 and 60 anyway, uh, uh, around 100 grams of good protein per day uh, optimizes everything else being equal, optimizes your mental functioning. But there was a study of, of uh, pilots done by the Pentagon in which a uh, high fat diet uh, was uh, the best for their attention and avoidance of accidents in interpreting information and uh, thiamin uh, vitamin B1 is uh, used to uh, produce energy from glucose and uh, it can make a tremendous difference uh, if you've been uh, at all deficient in it It's just spectacular what a a supplement of 10 milligrams or more of B1 can do for your mental focus and clarity. And uh, if it isn't uh, strictly a a simple nutritional problem, uh, it's often low temperature of the brain. uh, If your brain is only 94 or 95 degrees Fahrenheit, It it just isn't going to uh, function very well in in any sense. Uh, uh, There were studies in which the brain temperature was raised uh, just by heating the head on the outside, and uh, they found that memory, uh, quickness of response, uh, uh, clarity of reasoning, uh, all increased as the temperature went up uh, even over 99 degrees uh, I think it was around 101, where the, the, the mental capacity was still increasing.
3: Incredible. Uh, so, well, you could, um, uh, I'm not sure how one would know if their brain is is uh, at an optimum temperature. Uh, the the uh, eardrum. I, I've definitely, yeah, I'm, go ahead. Uh, eardrum thermometers are the closest
1: way to uh Judge your your brain temperature, and immediate the, way. Eh? Yeah. The type of mental activity you're doing uh, can affect the, the eardrum temperature on different sides differently.
3: Um, and to correct that, uh, I mean, would even. Uh, uh, um, wearing a beanie would that uh, help uh, raise the temperature, or is that a little too exterior? How how would one go about that?
1: Um, it, it, yeah, it, it can help. Uh, yeah. People uh, who have a low low body temperature in general sometimes have insomnia because of the uh, the stress it causes, and uh, they find they can sleep better just putting on uh, warm socks and a warm cap. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, wearing a warm cap if your head uh, tends to uh, run at a low temperature is uh, likely to help. But uh, things in the diet that keep your uh, brain temperature up besides protein uh, include uh, salt and sugar uh, Mm -hmm. and and the steroids, uh, pregnenolone, DHEA, and progesterone,
3: all help to maintain your proper body temperature you've mentioned uh, supplements Uh, i often wonder how well they're being assimilated and um, i know one would prefer to get them through food um, but you don't see too much of a problem of of, uh, buying supplements i don't know if they can be overdone as well but uh, um uh, an example, uh, for, as protein, I have in the past, for example, had, uh, taken protein, amino acid and protein supplements, but, uh, how much you said, I believe 100 milligrams of protein, what would that be equal to? And perhaps eggs grams. or, or beef or chicken, quickly. Not to take too much of your time.
1: A hundred grams of, protein per day for even, uh, smallish to medium sized people uh, in in a military study mm-hmm. who uh, optimizing their ability to to work mentally
3: right uh so i just i can I can actually look around and kind of tease out what that would actually equal to as far as portions um yeah you know i've I've definitely suffered from poor memory and and focus both uh immediate and uh sort of uh, extrapolating that into um, sort of a, uh, a long-term um, perception of future and all of that. That's sort of the ADHD type of stuff, um, and uh, it definitely gets tiresome. So uh, any little further bits you might be, have uh, towards that end. Um, I don't know how much uh, perhaps – I don't know if you can equate that to maybe early brain damage or maybe uh, exposure to inflammation uh, like that you speak of or perhaps just even a character characteristic of uh, maybe just uh, various types in a, in the species that has a certain function within the species a certain type of job that might be uh, you know someone might do well in one thing and, and might not go so uh well with a modern lifestyle but Anyway, just maybe any further thoughts with the attention deficit and that sort of thing. Uh, I'll I'll get off the air, but uh, uh, much gratitude to you both. And uh, I always look forward to the show every month. So thank you very much. An an example of how to get
1: 100 grams of protein would be
3: uh,
1: just three quarts of milk. All by itself would provide uh, just about right amount but uh, uh, you could also get it from uh, uh, 15 eggs or a combination of uh, a quart and a half of milk uh, and uh, a few eggs and some cheese and uh, but uh, if you can't uh, depend on the, the protein in uh, nuts and beans, for example, because uh, their digestibility and uh, quality uh, isn't uh, equal to the, the animal proteins such as
0: milk, cheese, and eggs. Okay. I think we do have another caller on the air, so uh, let's take this next caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from?
4: Yeah still trying to listen to you guys on the radio and talk to you on the phone. <laughs> I see, know. It's time. Not, not so easy, <laughs> uh, You know, there's a lag. <laughs> I didn't want to miss what, what you were talking about. Oops. Um, let's see. I'm from Crescent City. Okay. Uh, a couple things. Um, uh, what I, what I just want to mention you were talking about uh, covering your head when you're sleeping. I, I find it really helps when, uh, to sleep if I cover my head with a towel or a shirt or something like that. It helps a lot. Um, my question was about... Um, a uh, Galanga or Galangal. First of all, I wanted to know: Is Galanga and Galangal the same thing? Uh,
0: yeah, Galangal is. I think the same. I think the thing you're talking about.
4: <laughs> They're both the same. The it's, same herb. It looks like a ginger, right?
0: Yeah, it's an Ayurvedic um, Indian uh, Indian herb. Because
4: sometimes they call it Galangal, sometimes they call <laughs> it Galanga, and I'm trying to get that straight. Uh, uh glongol is or is used in, in Thai foods a lot and it looks like ginger and apparently from from some movie I was watching it, it it's used as a is a treatment for some skin cancers. Okay. Uh, it apparently with some other herbs breaks down the membrane that, that protects the cancers from uh, your immune system. Uh, so that's interesting. So I'm trying to figure out if it's the same thing. And then I, I was also wondering if you know anything about growing it. Have, um, I mean, I've tried, and I wasn't successful. Uh, I and uh, I, I noticed that they were actually selling selling it at the co-op in Arcata recently. Mm-hmm. And um, okay. I'm well, just wondering if you know anything about growing it, and anything yeah, well, about its medicinal uses.
0: You know, I've never actually used it. But, um, yeah, you're correct in saying that it's a member of the ginger family. Uh, And as such, it's going to be temperate, uh, well, more tropical uh, environments. So Hawaii probably and Indonesia. I don't know. I don't know you'd have any success growing it in Crescent City unless you had a good. A uh, hot house, and you were able to keep.
4: Yeah, I, I tried it in a, in a greenhouse, mm-hmm. but it didn't come up. And I don't know whether maybe it was just the wrong time of year, or it had been frozen, or what yeah, had happened. Just, just like I was just wondering if you. So you haven't tried growing
0: it. No, I haven't. But because it's a member of the ginger family, I wouldn't expect expect to grow it in a northern latitude very successfully.
4: And and do you guys know anything about it? Is it medicinal?
0: You know, I don't. Have, I don't. I've never used it. I'm sorry to say that uh, it is an herb. But there's lots and lots of them, and it's not something I've used. I've used lots of ginger, obviously, but uh, um, you know, it's not one of the plants that I've used in uh, in uh, alternative medicine. Th- thank you very much. I'm sorry, it can be of no help for you. That okay. We do have another caller on here air, so let's take this next caller. Hi, you're on the air and where are you from? <laughs> you were on the air.
5: Hello?
0: Hi, you're on the air, where are you from?
5: Okay. Uh is that me?
0: It is. I recognize you. Hello? <laughs> okay, hi.
5: Am I on now?
0: Yeah, you're on the air, go ahead.
5: Okay. I've got a couple of quick questions. I'm from Philadelphia by the way. Um uh number one. Um, I'd like to I've heard a lot about L-arginine that that's good for you can you quickly tell me what that does and if it is good for you Um,
1: it is the precursor to two uh, very important uh, substances Uh, uh, one is uh, uh, the uh, energy uh, reserve uh, that backs up ATP, uh, creatine phosphate but the other one is nitric oxide Hmm. and uh, very often if you simply supplement arginine you're going to boost nitric oxide which turns off your ability to produce energy oh (laughs) so by itself
5: it's not that good? no the L-arginine? no
1: Uh, what
5: was that? so you're saying that L-arginine by itself is not that good, you have to use it with this oxide stuff?
1: Yeah, I think it's fairly predictably a a risk. Oh,
5: now the other thing is um, vitamin D3, I'm not sure what the difference is between vitamin D3 or any other number, but um, that's what I was advised to take because I had low vitamin D. Is 5,000 units a day uh, a proper dose?
1: I think that's uh, currently uh, believed to be correct for for the average person in the northern
5: uh, So it's climate. not too much
1: um, I've never heard of it being too much
5: okay because the, the on the on the bar it says to take it every other day and I found that a little odd so you think it's better to take it every day
1: um, yeah many many people are are doing that and I think the the most informed uh, people on the subject say that it's perfectly harmless and will usually be an adequate amount where the officially recommended uh, a few hundred units hmm. per day it definitely is inadequate uh, for most people.
5: Yeah, and the other thing is sugar. Now you say sugar is good for you, but uh, haven't I heard you say before that you mean sugar from fruit and not refined sugar?
1: Um, occasionally, if, if the rest of your diet is good uh, refined uh, sugar can be very helpful. Uh, honey, uh, for example, uh, provides basically the same as refined sugar uh, with a few h- extra chemicals that can be helpful.
5: Oh, why Why is sugar helpful? Uh, I heard that too much can overact your insulin and cause you to uh, to gain too much weight.
1: Um, yeah, if you eat too much and are not getting uh, generally uh, good backup nutrition, Uh, I recommend it only for uh, therapeutic-specific uses. Generally, uh, getting your sugar from fruit is the best because of the the minerals and other nutrients with it.
5: Well, that sounds right. But, yeah, I think that sometimes it might be misleading when you say, oh, sugar is good for you, and people are going to think, oh, I can go out and eat donuts and ice cream, and that's fine. And I think basically you mean fruit
0: yeah okay all right thank I, you yeah i just wanted to say about vitamin d that um having having seen quite a lot of people's blood work uh come back uh, from their test for vitamin d that the uh reference limit has actually increased in the last year uh most people are low most people do not even um do not even really reach the uh, th- therapeutically recognized level uh, for adequate vitamin D. And so, yeah, 5,000 units a day would not seem uh, excessive. Um, okay, so we've got uh, seven minutes here if uh, anybody wants to call in. Uh, the numbers 707 923 3911 if you're in the area or if you're outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Uh, were you going to say something, Dr. Pete? I didn't want to cut you off.
1: Uh, uh, I was talking about the uh, uh, seeing the innate immune system as a source of inflammation and a barrier function, right. and something to simply turn on the uh, the adaptive immune system that the medical world is thinking about. But uh, I think the, uh, the inflammatory function is, uh, to some extent, a malfunction of the innate immune system. And uh, it's when uh, the uh, Irritation uh, or damage has uh, not been uh, repaired quickly enough that you see a noticeable inflammation. Uh, I think the the innate system really is a a repair system, and uh, the signals that it it sends out, which can become inflammatory, uh, I think are calling in repair cells. Uh, to to repair the damage and that uh, it, it's ideal function uh, shouldn't reach the the stage of of inflammation mm-hmm. and it, it shouldn't uh, activate uh, the adaptive uh, system strongly uh, that's what i see as the uh, the proper line of development thinking of the organism in the the long range lifelong mm-hmm. uh, pattern of development you don't want to overburden your system and and misdirect it uh, by causing uh, repeated uh, inflammation Um, and uh, an example of of why why I think it is not primarily a system of producing inflammation is that pregnenolone has been discovered to turn off the uh, immune cells that are activated by for example, uh, an injury or, or a parasite or bacteria getting into your skin or mucous membrane. And uh, uh, the the cells should produce their reaction and uh, uh, call in repair processes, and then they should switch over to producing pregnenolone uh, to stabilize cells and stop the inflammation. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Well, we, we actually have two more callers, but I don't think we're going to get a chance to... Uh, I think if this next caller can be very quick, uh, and your response, Dr. Pete, without cutting you short, can be Hello? equally equally quick, then perhaps we can take it. Hi, you're on oh. the air. Where are you from?
4: Do you guys put me off?
0: No, no, no. You go ahead. Where are you from? I
4: can hear you.
2: I'm from um, McKinleyville.
0: Okay, yeah. Go ahead with your question, but make it quick. And, Is there a uh, reason
2: why I can't hear you now? Something messed up.
0: Oh. Can you hear me now? Hello? Turn off the radio. There's an eight-second delay on the radio. Turn off the radio.
2: Oh, I don't have a radio near me.
0: Okay. Can you hear me?
3: I can hear you now.
0: Okay. Well, if you could be quick asking you a question. Uh, so my works. question
3: was about the ketosis concept. Okay. Um, <laughs> i was curious about ketosis.
0: Ketosis. <laughs>
3: And if it's actually the best idea to eat mostly fat um, and a little bit of green, but no grains and no sugar, I've heard.
1: Oh, uh, uh, no, I, I think it uh, activates uh, the stress system if you're having to produce uh, the ketones yourself. Uh, but oh, that's if not you, good?
3: You're if to eat you, grains?
1: Uh, if you have them in your diet, uh, precursors that are partly formed, uh, uh, already uh, ketones, uh, those are great and are equivalent to, to sugar, only better. I'm not but, following you. Uh, well, if you if you have to uh, turn on the process of making them, it, yeah. it means you aren't getting enough sugar in your diet, enough glucose or fructose. Where do I
3: find this information? Because everywhere I look says opposite. Uh, well,
1: you turn on... Cortisol production uh, when you don't have enough sugar, and the cortisol uh, has chronic uh, harmful effects, developmental effects. That so you you need
3: sugar, huh? Like fruit, or from honey, or
1: Uh, yeah, a fraction of how much sugar do you need? Like milk. Milk has a fraction of of sugar about equal to the amount of protein.
3: Is there any literature that can back up what you're saying? Have I have
1: articles on my
3: website. Uh huh. All right.
1: Bye
0: bye. Yeah. Thanks for your call. We better we better call this uh, the end of the evening. And Dr. Pete, uh, let me give people a chance to uh, reach your website and uh, find out more of uh, what you have there freely available. Thanks again for joining us. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so you've been listening to Ask Your Eb Doctor on KMED Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, the third Friday of every month, uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Brim and Pete to share his wisdom uh, and a very alternative way of looking at what we've all been led to believe is the way things are. So uh, his website is www.raypete.com. He has lots of articles fully referenced. Uh, they're all free. Uh, some of them are very uh, scientific in their own right, so be prepared for uh, some re-reading and um, looking through a dictionary maybe to find some of the concepts that he's talking about. Um, but anyway, very well worth reading and uh, it's fully referenced, so uh, none of it's just his, his fancy or his ideas. It's, it's all very much uh, fully referenced scientific material that's coming out of some f- pretty new research. Okay, so uh, till the third Friday of next month, uh, my name's Andrew Murray, and if you want to find out more about us, uh, there's an 800 number, or 888 number, beg your pardon, which is one eight eight wbm herb anytime. Uh, if you want to contact us through business hours, 9 to 5, uh, use that number, that'll be just fine. Okay, thanks so much for your time.